Good morning. Welcome to River Community Church. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to be here with all of you and to be worshiping and having this great morning. Uh, I want you this morning to imagine something with me for a minute. Imagine two spies, right? We're in a movie. Two spies. They, they cross over the border undetected. They get across the border, and, and there's a city they've got to get into. So they sneak through the gates of the city, and, and they get in, and, and nobody knows they're there yet. They're just the average traveler. Nobody is worried. It's just random people. They walk into the city. They're chatting back and forth, trying to be quiet and hush, and, and all of a sudden, just a little too close they get to somebody. They get a little too close. They, they speak a little too loud, and they hear it in their voice. They hear their accent. God, these aren't from here. These, these guys aren't from here. So the person that hears them runs and tells the authorities. The, the two spies, they realize they've probably been had. They've been found out. So they begin to race around trying to find a place to, to have safety. And they get to themselves to the, this place, this, this building, this, this house. And in this house, they, they meet a person, this woman. And this woman invites this, them in. She invites them in. It's a, what she would refer to as a lady of the night. She invites them into her house. They go in, they talk with her, and as they're talking with her, there's a knock at the door. It's the authorities. She sends the two men up to the roof to go and hide, and she goes down to talk to the authorities. I feel like I, I should be actually like doing like a movie promo, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like where they say, in a world where kings rule, spies hunt for secrets, and good and evil aren't what they seem. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> a little bit of fun, right, this morning? But at this point, some of you, you might realize that this is not a movie. This is not a, a fantastic novel of sorts. This is actually right out of the Bible. Like, this is a biblical account of something that happens. It's awesome. It's the story of Rahab and the Israelites conquering Jericho. And what I love about this is this story is actually even more incredible as it goes on. It keeps on being amazing. This is what it describes, what it's described as when the authorities show up. It says, Rahab, the, the woman of the night, had, ridden, had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had hidden them up on the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Now after this happens, the, the men leave to try and find these spies. Rahab goes up to the roof and has a discussion with the, the two spies who are Israelites. And she talks to them and she says to them, I know God has given you our land. And she's sure of it. She's certain of it. And she, so, so she tells the men, if you will protect me and my family, I will give you safe passage out of here. And they agree to it. And they, they are lowered down from the window. Her window happens to be in the wall of the city. They're lowered down with a scarlet rope. And her leaving that scarlet rope up is the sign to the Israelite army when they come later to protect that house. 
It's a wild story. It's amazing. It's in the Bible, right? Like this is an actual biblical story. It would make an incredible movie. You can imagine the whole scene. But, but part of me this morning just wants to go through all of these different biblical accounts that are so incredible. Like I, I could spend the entire sermon just listing them off like when there's Moses. Moses, at the very beginning of the story of Moses, he, he literally kills an Egyptian man, a slave, a slave driver, a slave master. He kills him, and the Pharaoh finds out, and he flees for his life. Or how about Gideon? Gideon and an army of like a couple hundred guys go, and they conquer an army of thousands with torches and smashing clay pots. It's an incredible story. Then there's David, right? David, when he's being hunted by the King Saul, King David, he become king later, but King Saul is hunting for him. He wants his life. And there's this moment when Saul sneaks into a, a cave to relieve himself. He's got to go to the bathroom. And David sneaks up on him in the dark and he begins to cut the corner of his cloak. He could have killed him, but instead he just takes the cloak and by showing it to him later, it saves his life. And then there's, there's all the, the rest of them, right? The whole New Testament, account after account of Jesus. Like when he, at the very beginning of his ministry, turns water into wine at a wedding feast to save the, the reputation of this family. It's incredible. There's so many different stories. We could go on and on and on. And, and part of me wants to because they're fun. But also because if you want to live a rich life, which is what we're talking about in this series, living rich, the way God wants us to live rich. One of the single best and most fundamental things you can do for yourself is to regularly read or take in the Bible. The Bible, this thing, this thing. Today, I'm going to tell you why that's the case, and I'm also going to tell you how you can do it. But a quick side note, because I know for some of us here this morning, we're like, I just don't like reading. Like, reading is just not my thing. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it at all. If I have to read, then I'm out, which I totally get. It's fine. I understand. But here's the thing. I'm not going to let you tune out because there are so many ways you can take it in now. You can take the Bible in. One of them, it's like audible. It's like books on tape. You can literally go to this app, version, the Bible app, press a button, and it will read to you. Like, you can just sit and listen to it like it's a podcast. It's amazing. You can listen to it here. You can listen to it there. You can listen to it anywhere. I mean, you can listen to it in a boat with a goat in a box with a fox in a house with a mouse, maybe even with some green eggs and ham, right? You can listen to it anywhere. So don't tune out. There are ways for you to take this in. Get this. There are 1,100 and 89 chapters in the Bible. 1,189, that's a lot. Seems like a lot in the Bible. But think about that for a moment. Think about it. How many books do you think there are written about the Bible? I tried Googling, I couldn't find an answer. Nowhere to be found. This is how many are on my bookshelf. Like That's just a few. There's a bigger bookshelf than that, but that's like a bunch of books. All of them are about the Bible. When you think about all the ones in the entire world, times that about like, by like 10 million. There's so many books written about the Bible. I mean, think about it. Billions of pages and chapters, all dedicated to understanding and interpreting this book. Can you imagine the number of sermons? Like the number of sermons about the Bible. 
for 2,000 years, like every Sunday, how many churches, how many sermons given? There's got to be trillions of sermons given about the Bible. Add to that the fact that this book has been written, or not written, um, printed some 500 billion times. No other book in the history of the world is even in a billion. Crazy number different. And did you know that one of the most popular apps, the one I just showed you, that's been downloaded a hundred million times. You have to ask, why? Why? What is it about the Bible? How and, and why has that book inspired so much? Whatever you think about church or, or religion, you have to admit there's something about this book. I personally think it has a little something to do with, with psychology and how we were designed. Our family uh, likes to watch a couple different shows, the family together. One of the ones we've been watching recently is called Brain Games. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's on Disney+. Plus. But we'll sit around and they'll, they'll show these different things that are like kind of trippy in your mind. Like the way you think about something, the way you see something, it kind of throws you off. They're, they're wild. We were watching one the other night and it was about memory. It was an episode about memory. And it was about tricks to being good at remembering things. Like if you were to make a list of groceries that you need to go and buy at the grocery store and you started just listing off those, that list of groceries and you were just trying to like memorize it, like apples, oranges, eggs, milk, whatever the things are that you have to, to memorize, and you just tried to like memorize the list just by saying it over and over again, you wouldn't be very good at it. However, if you were to create a story with that list, whatever you want to do, some crazy far-off story about each of these items, and you remembered the story, you would remember far more of the items on the list because you remember them as part of a story. Try it sometimes. It's really fun. But here's the thing. There's more to it than that. We don't just remember things better through stories. We actually reason with stories. We do story logic. And you know this. We all know this. Internally, we know this. The best commercials, the most convincing ones, they don't list facts. They don't present to you a cost-benefit analysis for why you should use their product. They don't do that. You turn the channel really quickly. What do they do? The best commercials tell you a story. They want you to see yourself in the story so that you can want whatever the thing they're presenting is. Like this one. Take a look.
Sometimes the little things last the longest. Give extra, get extra. How many of you are crying? <laughs> I couldn't even watch it, okay? Like, I've got three boys. Like, that makes me think about all those things. It's sappy. It's so sappy. And honestly, it has nothing to do with gum whatsoever. Like nothing to do with gum. It's just some nice little thing the guy does. But who wants extra gum now? A lot of us do, right? <laughs> We're selling it in back, right? Just kidding. But here's the thing. I mean, that's kind of manipulative, right? Like they use this story to get you to want something. But in us is this realization, this thing where we reason with relationships. We reason with experiences. We reason with the stories that we're living in our lives and with other people. This is how we're made, to reason with stories. It's almost as if God designed us this way and then created a book that works how we work so that we could grow a relationship with him through the true accounts, the true stories in this book. The stories of people, people's real lives and real relationships with God inspire and compel us to grow that same kind of a relationship with Jesus. There's this nonprofit I, uh, I follow along with. Uh, it's called The Bible Project. And they do this podcast. They make these little videos that explain and talk about the Bible. They're incredible. If, if you don't like reading the Bible but you want to know more about the Bible, go to thebibleproject.com and just start watching videos. You'll, you'll be amazed. It'll be such a rich way to take it in. But they talk about the Bible and like they explain it. And their tagline is that, that the Bible is a, it is a unified story that points to Jesus. The whole thing is that. And they explain it in this video. It's a little bit longer, so take your time, take it in. But I want you to see this because I think it's such a great picture of what the Bible is. Take a look. The Bible's an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. 
we zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay, so that's the story of the Bible. And it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to this story in a unique way. And that's what the next video will begin to explore. So there you go. That's the Bible in five minutes. And I told you I would tell you why reading the Bible leads to living a rich life. Here's why. When, the re when you read the Bible, you are engaging in and learning about the story God has been writing for centuries, about restoring, 
rejuvenating and making right the entire world. And part of doing this is teaching us how to do that in our very own lives. And here's what you have to know. It works. Like it actually works better than any other method I know of. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. We have never in the history of the world had so much easy access to so much information and knowledge. All of it is a Google search away. How many of you use Google like daily? Yeah, lots of us, right? It's a normal thing. And you'd think with, with all of that information at our fingertips, we would be capable and willing to solve so many of the world's problems, wouldn't we? Like, it just should be easy. We should just do it. Like, what, there's the information. Just Google it. How do you, world peace, how, how does it happen, right? But it doesn't work that way because, because wars still rage. People remain hungry and without clean water. Diseases continue to run rampant. Plenty of things have gotten better because of access to that information, but human nature still rules. We may be smarter, but we're no wiser. This is why, this is why it's so crucial that we look to God for answers. And God has made this wisdom, this, this way that God shows us to live available to us in the Bible. The best way to grow wiser, to live rich, is to take in and, and apply this book, the Bible. Now, now maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, like I go to church, isn't that enough? And, and what I want to tell you is church is great and that's awesome that you're here. It, it is in a large part like an awesome enough to start with. It's fantastic. But I want to say this, church is kind of like, church is kind of like halftime at a football game when you're in the locker room, right? You just spent the last week playing the first half now y'all get together in the locker room for a little bit before you go out there and, and tackle the field or take the field for the second half. It's that locker room talk moment, right? With all that great speeches, right? It motivates. It corrects. Like, hey, you guys are doing this wrong. Like, make sure you do this a little bit differently and it's going to go so much better in the second half. It, it reinforces what you're doing right. Hey, you guys are doing awesome in this area. Keep on doing that. Keep it up. Awesome job. Or, or it reminds you of what matters most. A great locker room speech, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's encouraging. But it's worthless if you don't go back out on the field and apply what you just heard. More than that, the locker room speech can only do so much. Like there's a limit to how much the locker room speech can do. It can only motivate you to, to give a little bit more effort or play a little smarter. But if they're like just a better team, you're still going to get trounced. <laughs> It doesn't make up for a lack of practice or training. Hitting the gym in the offseason, any good coach will tell you that's where potential really starts. You can get good if you work hard during the season. You can become great if you work first hard in the offseason. Sundays are great, but it's not a substitute for growing closer to God all week long. Paul, in his letter to Timothy in the Bible, Second letter to Timothy, he gives us the clearest description of the purpose of the Bible. This is what he says. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches, to, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Why do you take in the Bible? Why do you read it? Why do you hear it? Because it teaches us about salvation, new and forever life through Jesus, because it, it corrects us What's off in our life, it gets us on the right track. It, it teaches us how to live right. It, if you read it and you apply it, you begin to represent Jesus well, like we talk about all year long so far. In other words, you read it because it leads us to a rich life. But how are you supposed to read it, right? Like when you open up the book and you're like reading these different passages, like what are you looking for? What are you trying to get out of this book? Because if you don't know that, then you're kind of just reading some random words that were written a long time ago. So what are you trying to get out of this book? First, you're trying to get to know the stories. One of the most powerful things I've heard several times in the last year is people that are new to faith that are trying to help their kids grow closer to God and they read these children's Bibles with the stories and they're like, man, these are amazing. I love these stories because they've never heard them before and they're enamored with them. That's, it's incredible. The stories themselves are powerful. It's, it's, we're not cold logic people. We're story logic people. That's why the Bible is written how it is. Getting to know the stories, they, they work deep down in us. It gives us multiple ways of seeing the world. It, it gives us transferable principles that apply to every aspect of life. Second thing you're looking for when you're reading the Bible, you're looking to understand God's character. Deep in these stories, deep in every book within the Bible is a picture of who God is and how much he loves us, how loyal he is to us. And then we get to know God's character as, and it reassures us. It gives us a model for how we're to live. It gives us a picture of the kind of character that we ourselves are to have. Next thing is, as you're reading the Bible, you're reading it to solidify your values. All of this points to something that, has always, that is always being formed in each and every one of us, our values. I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't choose your values. You consume your values. The more you take something in, the more you begin to own that as a value. So what you're consuming becomes what you value. When you take in the Bible, when you absorb it, you own and hold on to those values. And then finally, you're reading it to apply it. This is not just so you can know some nice things or some nice facts. You're, you're reading this so that it changes the way you live on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Not just on the weekend, on a Sunday, but every day. This is something that can be applicable. It's how we live a rich life. It's how we represent Jesus well. So that we can live our own stories, our own rich lives, and, and see God working in them. Now, I know it's, it's hard sometimes to know where to even begin or how to do it. And so a couple of tactics for you when, when you're reading the Bible. The first one is just start. Like if you're trying to figure out where to read, don't start the, the beginning. And that's kind of a weird thing, right? Like if you read any of the Old Testament, it can get kind of overwhelming and scary. Go to the New Testament, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to start. One of those books that's about Jesus, start there. Uh, some people will read a passage and they'll just read it really slowly and let every one of the words sink in. 
Other people will read a passage, they'll read it over and over and over again. Like one day, and then the next day, and the next day. And every time they read it, they see something new. Something they hadn't noticed before. And it's powerful that way. You can listen to it. Actually, I know it sounds silly, like we're so used to reading the Bible, like that's the thing you're supposed to do. But if you go back in history to the very first churches, do you know what they did? They got together and they had somebody stand up at the front and they would read these letters out loud from start to finish. You thought our sermons were long. Like they would just sit there and they would listen to them read this letter to them. So you would actually be doing, if you were to listen to it, a more biblical thing than reading it. It's kind of fun thought. So listening to the Bible is really powerful when it was meant and written to be heard, not just read. Or how about this? Uh, the, the very first one, I just mentioned it. You can read a whole book. If you really want to like, take a challenge, read an entire book in one sitting, like an entire letter, because it has an arc to it. It has a design. The letter is meant to be read all at once. Like when it was originally written, that was the purpose of it. So if you want to try something new that you've never done before as a Christian, read an entire letter in the Bible from start to finish and see how you read it differently because of that. Those are great those are fun ways to apply it and try something new. I'm trying to, if you've been reading the Bible a long time, I'm trying to give you something new you can grab a hold of. But, but the bottom line is this. It can't shape you or form you in, with a rich life unless you engage with it. You have to engage with it if you're going to do that. And for you, if you're visiting this morning and you're just not into the Bible yet and you're just checking out, church is a great start. Don't feel like you have to jump off the cliff if, and go deep into this if this is something you really, really um, are just trying to figure out. Being here on a Sunday is fantastic, but if you want to take a next step and grow that relationship with God, reading it and engaging with it is a really powerful thing. And for those of you who are at that point and you want to take a challenge this week, here's my challenge for you. If you, if you can read one book of the Bible that's at least six chapters long, within the next two weeks, and you email me and say, I read Ephesians or the book of John or Joshua, and this is the one thing I'm going to take away from it, I'll buy you coffee, all right? Like a nice one too, like nicer coffee, not just like cheap coffee, okay? I'll buy you the nicest drink from mugs you can get, okay? That's my challenge, you can accept it or not, but I challenge you to do it because I am confident when you do that, it will change you. You will see something in your life that you can grow or shift or change, and it will make your life more rich. The Bible, it's incredible. Get this. Okay, get this. We started off with that story about Rahab. After Israel conquered Jericho in that miraculous way, if you don't know the story, go, go check it out. It's in the first few chapters of Joshua. But Rahab and her family, they become part of Israel. Do you know what happens to Rahab? Do you know what happens to her? She goes and she gets married. She has kids. She becomes a great-grandmother to a man named David, who we know as King David. Which means she is one of Jesus' ancestors. The lady of the night is the line God chose to use to bring us Jesus. 
God's character, God's way of redeeming people, God's love and forgiveness, it all points to Jesus. It's deep in the stories of the Bible. All scripture is God-inspired. It's useful for teaching and correcting. It forms us into people who can represent Jesus and his character well. As I finish this morning, I want to finish by praying, but I'm going to pray a prayer that was first prayed by Jesus. It's near the end of his ministry. He's talking to his disciples, and he's, he's praying to God on behalf of his disciples. And these are the words that he says. Would you pray with me? Jesus says, now I am coming to you as father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Amen.